Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves. And before we get into this episode with Latham Thomas, which is an excellent episode, I have some some fascinating news to share. That fascinating news is that this is the 25th episode of The Best Thing. I'm so excited because when I started this, I had this goal to have fascinating conversations with fascinating people. And that's exactly what I'm doing. A while back, I found myself feeling bored. I'm like, what's going on? Why am I feeling bored? And I realized that I wasn't doing what I love. And that is having those rich, deep, profound conversations. And that's what this podcast is all about. We have listeners all across the world. We are regularly hitting the charts in some amazing places I never would have imagined. So I just want to say thank you for being a listener. Thank you for joining me on this amazing and so much fun journey that we're having right now. And I also want to share some some news with you. And that is, I have a book coming out in January. And I'm going to be releasing the cover, showing the cover of this book extremely soon. And if you want to be one of the first people to see the cover of this book before anyone else, I would like you to text me the word book. Text me the word book to 310-564-7124. Once again, to get an inside look at the cover, text me the word book to 310-564-7124. Once again, thank you so much for joining me on this amazing journey to 25 episodes. I can't wait to do another 25. This wouldn't be possible without all of you listeners, all of your amazing feedback. So please leave a review if you haven't already. Please share with a friend if you haven't already. Please hit subscribe or follow. And without further ado, let's get to this excellent episode with Latham Thomas. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I am a speaker, author, and coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I've known about for years, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Latham Thomas is a maternity lifestyle maven, world-renowned wellness leader, and master birth doula on the vanguard of transforming the wellness movement. She is founder of Mama Glow, a lifestyle brand offering inspiration, education, and holistic services for expectant and new mothers. Named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, yes, that Oprah, Latham is bridging the gap between optimal wellness, spiritual growth, and radical self-care, and is the go-to guru for modern holistic lifestyle for women. Latham authored the best-selling book titled Mama Glow, A Hip Guide to a Fabulous and Abundant Pregnancy, and she's also the author of the bestseller, Own Your Glow, A Soulful Guide to Luminous Living and Crowning the Queen Within. Latham Thomas, welcome to The Best Thing. Oh, Antonio, thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Let's, let's talk about just Mama Glow for a second, because here's what's interesting about you. And I invite anyone to go to Latham's Instagram page, all right? And when you go to her page, Frankly, what I see is glow. What I see is the glow up, not just the energy you emote, you know, from your face and your smile and the energy you give, but also as a dude who is afraid to wear color, who who is a who is aggressively committed to gray, black, navies like I am right now, you also embrace dynamic colors as well. So I'm just curious, is that something that's all, the glow? Has that been natural and innate to you your whole life, or is that something you you stepped into? That's a really great question. And thank you so much for having me. Um, Hello to your community of listeners. Um, I feel like I've always been somebody who, even as a child, really loved color. Um, I grew up in a household where my mother was artistic. And so there was always um, color around. And, um, but for me, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting against bright color. Everything's colorful in my life. And 
Um, although I have some black articles of clothing, I'm, I don't, I think I have maybe like one or two black coats. Everything is colorful, but I think for me, it's about this lens on life that is like, you know, when we got Instagram, we got introduced to filters, right? And I feel like life should be lived through Valencia filter. You know, life should be lived through this filter of, of, of joy, of radiance and, and seeing um, beauty in all things. And so for me, that's what I seek to do, right? Like in the moment that I have to embrace either um, a thought that comes in that, that brings me joy or, um, you know, taking in information that might consume me, I have to choose joy because that's our birthright, but also because I'm living in a world as you are that seeks to, seeks to destroy us, that seeks to disempower us. It doesn't want us to thrive. And so um, I, I kind of live in this space of, you know, defying that and um, by, by being an example, but also by, um, uh, yeah, like seeking light as, as part of, of the journey. I'm from California too, so I'm just used to like the sunshine every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so living in New York, I've had to find ways to, um, to feel like I've been living in that, in that joy. That's fantastic. I, I love two things you said. One, you said, I have to choose joy. But also you said something that I think a lot of us forget about. You said, in the moment that I have. I think we we think that this moment is about to go on and on and on forever. And it is a moment. So we have to embrace it while we are here. Um, it's truly a gift. When I was reading your bio and introducing you, uh, three words that really, really stood out for me were the three words of radical self-care. When you think about those words, radical self-care, if someone hears that and they're not familiar with you and your work, how do you look at what radical self-care is? Yeah. So I think about self-care, not just about like what you do, but what you don't do. Right. And I think what's radical about it is this idea of on a moment to moment basis, choosing yourself. So if you think about it through this lens, like everybody is thinking about self-care through the lens of like bubble baths and like bubble bathing your problems away and taking pictures in a bath of Instagram until you get the right one, right? To show how you can better self-care than anybody else. I am not talking about that, right? I am talking about also boundaries, right? And deciding like what's worth my time and energy. I'm deciding where I want my energy to go, what I want on my spirit, right? Do I really want to watch the news? Do I want all of that on my spirit? Do I want to be in this conversation with someone who I know when I get off the phone, I have to do yoga, you know what I mean? Do I want to, um, instead of being multitasking, do I want to be with my son and be present to an experience or a conversation that we're having? Or do I also want to be texting, right? Like, what can I do to be present? And what can I do that's going to feed myself, but also serve who all else is involved? And so the, the, the self-care that I want us to be thinking about is a monitoring of of your internal landscape, right? And so what that means is like, you know, in any moment, like the, it could get hot, I need to open the door and, and get myself some fresh air, right? Like we would do that if we have a sensation, but we don't do that when we have emotions, right? We don't attend to them, right? We don't attend in that moment. Instead we say, oh, it's not appropriate for this moment to express in this way. So let me like push that down, right? Or um, I have this work on my plate, I have a deadline, right? Notice the words deadline, by the way, right? I have a deadline. So instead I'm going to like keep myself busy and not sleep and do all these things that are destructive instead of take care. And so the invitation, I think, especially for a people where there are systemic barriers in place that are real and, and for people who have this lived experience of racism, the lived experience of, of being um, persecuted for difference, we have to embrace these tools because there's because everything is set up um, to 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 harm us. Everything is set up for us to fail. And so, if we don't start to unbind what's been set up in place for us, and we start to um, release ourselves from those um, those systems and release ourselves really from the effects, I should say, of the system, then we won't survive, right? So I see it as like not just when you get broken down. Right. Like you don't want to just start thinking about, oh, well, my back is now really hurting. Now I'm hunched over. Now I'm going to finally get a massage or I'll finally slow down. No, 
self-care is about designing a life that you don't have to escape, right? And so that is what I want us to be thinking about, right? Like, how do I create the path forward for a life that is well-lived, not one that I'm constantly seeking to escape on vacation or seeking to escape in these moments I give myself, but then I go back into doing harmful patterns, right? So that's kind of what I want people to think about. Wow, you dropped a few gems right there that gave me pause. One, I never thought about the word deadline and the word dead that exists in that. But also for our listeners, what an amazing reminder of that willingness to establish those boundaries, that willingness to to change agreements that may longer work for you. And as you know, some people may call you selfish uh, when you make some of these decisions. But I hope people who are listening know that choosing yourself, choosing your self-care is not being selfish whatsoever. So thank you for being willing to share that. And I even love you saying designing a life you don't have to escape from. Because I personally can remember just a few years back when, listen, post, I got home in the evening, best believe that Netflix was coming on, best believe that whiskey was being poured. I used to think, remember thinking about the can't wait till Friday. What, what a sad thought. It's Monday morning and you can't wait till Friday, right? Like, hold up with the time that we have. Let's be here. I'm, I'm, I don't want to start preaching. So let me just get to my next question. I'm here for the sermon, honey. <laughs> no, you got you got me feeling it. Thank you. Um, So I want to talk just briefly about your work. Uh, I'm fortunate. My wife works in the health and wellness field. Uh, she's a uh, a yoga teacher and educator, and she specifically works with uh, mamas and mamas to be. So I feel duly, duly, it's going to lead to the next word I'm going to say in a second, uh, educated on the work that you do and have a deep appreciation for the work that you do. For that man or that woman that's listening that may not be familiar with either A, what a doula is or why it's important for you to revolutionize maternal care. Could you give a little a little background and education? Sure. So um, a doula is a non-clinical care provider who provides emotional support, physical support, uh, education, psychological support and tools, um, advocacy, and also partner support if there's a partner present to help them navigate the experience um, of pregnancy through new birth and parenthood. And the role is one of, of service, of handholding, of um, really filling the emotional gaps and educational gaps that we have, but also the village gaps, right? Because we no longer live, you know, my granny's in the house too, and my auntie lives right here too, right? We're not in a village like we used to be, right? And so the doula kind of helps to create that, that um, connection to sort of restore the birth village like we used to have. And so they show up and fill that void where we don't have our mama and our grandmama or our aunts or other people who might've stepped in to cover us, right? During a time that's so vulnerable and trans so transformative as birth. So they serve as that kind of connection and, um, and also are deeply educated in, in how to navigate the medical system so that when you go in there, no matter who you are, that you have the tools to advocate for yourself and understand the, the process that's going to unfold for you. And they also help you to process that experience as well so that it's an emotional, they're like, they provide an emotional container so that when you come on the other side, you're able to remember it in a way that you feel empowered, that you feel irregardless of the outcome, you feel that you were seen in your humanity and you feel that it was a transformative experience. And that's what I am concerned with also is not just the experience you have, but also how you recall it. Like how was how your memory of that experience too? Thank you for sharing that. And for those people right now who are mothers or mothers to be, or you know some mamas or mamas to be, make sure you go to the show notes because I have a link to Mama Glow where you can get more information. Latham does tons of work, not only in person, uh, when there's uh, availability to do things in, in person, uh, but also tons of online education and groups as well. So go there to learn more. You mentioned the key term advocacy. And what I loved about as I was researching you about advocacy is not only are you advocating mothers and their partners, et cetera, are you doing some profound work educating medical practitioners as well? I'm always blown away. I think back to my friend, um, his name is Dr. Chatterjee, a doctor in the UK doing amazing work in functional medicine. Uh, you can listen to him on podcast with Drew, who's been on our podcast from Broken Brain, or Dr. Mark Hyman, pharmacy. 
But he talks about the whole time that he was in medical school, he never learned one thing about nutrition. Oh, yeah. Never once about diet or nutrition. So I'm thinking you as well, like you're going into some really esteemed hospitals and systems. And these men and women have doctors with doctors in front of their name, have esteemed credentials. Yet there's a lot they don't know. So and let me push pause for a second. I don't know what age I was late then when I realized that just because someone has a title of doctor, lawyer or whatever, doesn't mean they good at what they do. I had to remind myself titles aren't everything, but you've had to go and also serve the other side as well and educating practitioners. Um, and are they always open to give hearing the feedback and suggestions you have? Or is it uh, do you have to tell some strong stories to to get them to listen? I mean, first of all, thank you for that. There's definitely both, right? So I would say um, where, where I'm coming in, thankfully, I'm coming into a space where most of the people are prepared for me to come in. And so, and the conversations are met with uh, humility. But I'm also surprised that when we start talking and I create the space for folks to share their beliefs and what they know, that they don't know a lot of things that I expect them to know, that the doulas already know. And I'm like, how much I pay to go to school here? <laughs> so, um, so yes, I'm always, I'm always so surprised when I see those types of things, but I also find it really um, amazing, right. That we can, that, that if we can normalize, right. That these are people. And if they can also realize that they're people and not machines and also not the say all be all end all and that we are here to work together as a team to reach a goal, um, I think that would be something that could shift the culture around um, medicine because you, we know medicine is deeply patriarchal. We know um, that there is medical racism. We know that there are uh, forces at work that have been long in practice for hundreds of years, in fact, and that are deeply connected to some of these uh, systemic uh, challenges and disparities that we see along the birth continuum and in other places outside of my work. But I would say that um, most people are grateful, especially the young people. Young people are so ready for the change. They are up on the lingo. They know what is on Instagram. They know what's on here. They know what's going on in the marches. They know what's going on in the protests. And they want to use their voice to do something positive. And so I think that... Um, the younger people are ready. And I love that because those are going to be the chiefs and the attendings and the people who will, will shift the culture. So I'm excited to like pour my energy into the future and, um, and to build the future because I think that there is a place for what is happening right now, this, this moment that we're in. There are people who need to actively dismantle and there are people who need to actively build. And I am on the side of building the future, right? Like I want to focus my energy on building. Um, and, and I want the people who are here who are really good at like, you know, chopping up to do that. And let me be over here and we, we lay in the bricks. Right. And so when y'all are ready, when this thing is done, we will be over here with the future ready for you to step into. Right. And so that's what I see these these younger voices ready for. I see them as committed. And um, and even the people who bring us in they have this desire, I think, to sort of break away from what's been traditional and to step into something new. They just don't really know how to do it because it is like a, it's a machine, right? So um, I, I am hopeful that things will change. I don't know in what way, but I'm hopeful. Well, I know you're sparking a lot of that positive change already. And what a great reminder for everyone listening that we have a choice every single day to build or destroy. And yes, there are times when things need to be dismantled. Absolutely. But whether you're at work and your relationship, your parenting, are you building or are you destroying? And also, Latham, you said something that made me chuckle a little bit. You said, well, most times are prepared for me to come in. It makes me think about those times people have emailed me or said, hey, I want to book some coaching sessions with you and my husband. I'm like, actually, hold on a second. He is not prepared for me to come in. Uh, let her, He has to make that decision himself. I appreciate you. I like uh, dollars and cents, and I'm not working with someone ad hoc like that. Um, and last, before we get to the question of the best thing, I'm really loving this because I think you're not only educating me, but you're educating our listeners. I read something recently, so people get how heightened and how, how, how sensitive this and important this topic is. I read something recently in an interview you gave in Forbes.com, Latham, where you said something to the extent of, it was safer to give birth in the 1850s 
than it is today. Someone may hear that. I'm gonna say it one more time. You said it's safe, it was safer to give birth in the 1850s than it is today. For that person who is shocked to hear that or says that that, that there's no way that's possible, uh, could you just briefly uh, talk about that? Yeah, um, I wish that it wasn't true, right? Um, we live in a in a nation, and and I know that this is an audience; it's international. So just to give you a, a scope, right? Um, in the United States, the United States is the only uh, developed, quote unquote, country where maternal deaths are still on the rise, right? Um, we, we rank last out of all developed nations in terms of maternal deaths. We spend the most per capita on health care, but yet we can't keep our mothers alive. Um, and what we see in terms of the maternal health crisis and statistics, right, Uh Black women and Native American women in this country are four to five times more likely than white women to die during childbirth or due to childbirth-related causes, okay? Now, that is an astronomical number. And um, what that means is for Black women, there has actually been a 25-year increase in Black maternal deaths. So we've just been like moving along with nobody thinking that we're in a crisis. And actually, the CDC declared a state of emergency because of this uh, disparity. And so it was not like this in the 1850s. In fact, you know, we had care providers who were midwives, black granny midwives who looked after um, black women. They delivered their babies. When, when we were enslaved uh, or when our ancestors were enslaved, there were women who not only delivered the, um, the babies of enslaved women, but also the master's babies and would even wet nurse for the mistresses. And so that's where our legacy comes from in, in birth work, but also that's, that's where it all started. And when we, we moved into a place where, you know, we didn't have uh, adequate healthcare. We didn't have, um, there was poverty, which we still, you know, suffer in our communities. Um, you know, we didn't have access to insurance um, in some places at the time, there was no, you know, access to good sanitation, but there were still better birth outcomes than now. And so this, this is connected to, um, systemic racism and bias that is woven into the fabric of this system, which is, uh, deeply embedded in the roots of this country's, uh, inception, right. And this harm that has been done to people black and brown, but also at the time they were, they were um, Irish women too. It was like black women who were experimented upon, whose bodies were used for medical research. Um, Irish women were part of that too. And so uh, the, the issue here is that it should be incredibly safe to give birth. People should not be questioning whether or not they will survive. And for black women to carry this, the fear of that is unconscionable. And for us to not be rallying in the streets like we do for everything else is unconscionable. And, and I say this because in this moment that we live, everybody, thank God, is in the streets because uh, it took seeing on tape um, a black man be murdered in, in a malicious and, and gruesome way for the world to see. It took that for everyone to stand up and say enough, right? I mean, everyone, no matter where people fell on the party divide, everybody agreed that that was enough. But, you know, and I'm glad that everybody's in the street for that. But what about Black life? And what about the, the, the first environment, which is the womb? And what, are the, what about those factors of race, of, of injustice that are being worked on when you're inside, right? When you're still, you're still cooking, you're not even here yet. And these are systems that are working on you because they are working on your mother or whoever's, you know, like the, the parents that are going to, you know, be there when you're born. These systems are working on you before you even arrive. What about that life? Right. What about that person when they are born and how the systems are set up for them not to have access where there's food insecurity, there's there's housing insecurity, there's um, environmental um, and, and climate issues and concerns. There are there are concerns with um, education and, and access to good healthcare, like all of these things, right? People are trying to take away from you from the time that you're born when you look like you and I. So 
So I'm concerned about us also fighting to preserve Black life and to and to remove the obstacles that are in place that threaten us living fully actualized, fully expressed lives of joy. Like that is what your sons deserve. That is what my son deserves, right? And and the fact that we still have to fight for that, the fact that we have to still fight for our existence is is an issue. And so so that number, right? Like thinking that back then with all the things that were happening when when we were still considered chattel slavery, right? When we were still in that period before all of us were free, right? To know that you had a better chance then than you do now with so-called freedom, it, it really says a lot about like the advancement, right? And so I think that we have to, again, rally behind this idea of, of protecting Black life from the womb. And, um, and I want people to also be in the streets to protect this from this point, just like we get in the streets um, when, when somebody dies. One, thank you for sharing all that information. So, so important. And there are three things that jumped out as you were speaking that to me is one, how much more I want to be educated on this topic and support organizations and causes that are helping, supporting to help this. Maybe afterwards, you can give me some names of those organizations that I can put in the show notes. Uh, one, wow, what a great mind, reminder of the first environment and what a beautiful way to put it. Uh, second, I think a lot of people um, assume what you just described really only affects you know, people who are in poverty. But as you mentioned in that great Forbes article I referenced, we can look no further than someone like Serena Williams with all the resources in the world that had a, a really challenging childbirth that could have ended her life. So it's not just folks who are dealing with poverty as well. And the last thing I just got to say, and this is for listeners as well, I, I love Latham that you chose to use the word enslaved, enslaved. I think sometimes in society we say, oh, they were slaves. No, listen, they were enslaved. Mm-hmm. That was not a choice. And I think we forget sometimes. So thank you for putting that E in in front of that word. So, so let, let's get to the subject of this podcast. We talk to people about the quote unquote best thing to happen to them that, that doesn't include those traditional markers of success. Yes. Buying a home, graduating from college, getting married, all those things that are cool and awesome, but those are traditional. What would you say are, are one of the best things that has happened to you? even if looking back on it, it wasn't necessarily easy, that has a profound effect on, on who you are and how you show up today? Great question. So I'm going to share a story um, about how I became a single mother. And I came from a family where my mother raised two girls on her own. And while I was growing up, one of the things that I think like was really clear in my mind because I went to Catholic school. I'm kind of probably still recovering from that, but, but it was, um, it was my elementary school. And I remember one day I was in class, right? I think I was probably like eight and they had everybody raise their hands. If you were raised in a household where you had two parents. And so then certain people raised their hand, not a lot. And the class was mostly black and Filipino kids and a handful of white kids. And so then they said, raise your hand if your parents are still together. And then they said, raise your hand if you if your parents are not married. And then there was something around like, raise your hands if your parents were married when you were born. And so I was raising my hand because my parents were not married. And so then that's when I first learned the word bastard. And so I went home and I asked my mom, well, what is a bastard? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, at school, they had us you know, raise our hands. And I told her this exercise and you know, my mama went up to the school, right? (laughs) And so um, she went up there and she lit them up behind the fact that I was singled out for coming from a, a family background that was not considered holy, that was not considered blessed and as part of the sacrament of marriage. And, um, and she lit these people up behind that, but I still carried some sense of inferiority because I didn't come from this, uh, this frame, right. That celebrated. And, and what we, what we see everywhere, right. Like I was raised watching the Cosby show. So you see this family structure, um, that's deeply rewarded by society. And that is also, uh, celebrated through everything that we see, all the movies we see families are configured a certain way. And that's what we come to know as normal, but also as good. And so, I didn't think that I necessarily came from 
a quote unquote good family because of that. Right. So fast forward, I have my son and, you know, like I'm in this relationship and it becomes clear that it's not working. Right. And that I should go. And I was holding on partly because I was like, I don't want to be a single mom. Right. And I was like, I don't want to repeat that pattern. I felt some kind of way about it. I didn't feel um, I didn't feel good. Right. About the fact that that was part of my story, but part of my history. And even though because I know my mom struggled also raising us. And so it was just like I didn't even want that for myself. Um, And I remember just like being there, even though it didn't feel good. And so it's like I was saying you're welcome in a situation that you knew you needed to leave. And, and that's what I felt. And so uh, it finally came to a, a breaking point when I did. And, um, and I remember also feeling like I don't know the steps forward, but I know that I have to take this first one, right? Like I knew I had to go, even though I didn't know what I would do right after. I had no plan. I had no, like there was no savings. There was nothing to sort of prop me up afterwards. So we figured out, you know, how to like navigate the the co-parenting thing in the beginning and um, nothing was really smooth, but we just figured out how to kind of find a way forward as young people. Um, You know, we did have parental counsel, but not like in a way that we needed to sort of keep everything together. You know, many people know when things happen, sometimes, you know, the parent parental figures can get in the way and can lean obviously towards, you know, their children um, versus sort of being neutral to sort of help ameliorate the, the consequences of, you know, the situation. So uh, my mother obviously was in my ear heavy and, and really was someone who was, she, she had her ideas of, of what she wanted to sort of, I think, uh, experience through me. And so she was sort of giving me advice that really wasn't good for me. And really had me anxious and um, and I had to sort of step away from even her advice on that front and take a path forward. And what I thought while I was in the relationship was that um, I didn't think I would be able to make money because I was told that I would never, you know, really be able to make money. I would never be successful. Um, I was told that by many people um, and including in the relationship. And then what ended up happening was that I had this child who was dependent upon me. And who thought I was perfect, right? And I suddenly realized that I had to use my ingenuity to put together um, a business path forward. I knew that I had to work for myself. I knew that I couldn't really work for other people. And so this was sort of the rudiments of what become Mama Glow, right? Like, I, like the birth of my business really happened once that relationship was finished. And it actually created space in my life because I didn't have the space to do so while I was in the relationship. And so while I thought that that was going to be something that would would sort of prop me up, and by the way, at that point, I had never really lived on my own. I mean, I lived on my own like in boarding school and college, but like I had never really been an adult on my own until I became a single mom. And, and at that point of being an adult on my own, I had now a child, right? And so so I had become what I thought like wasn't, you know, respectable or whatever. Like I, I had become part of the the cycle, right, of having you know, being a single mother, my grandparents were married. So it's like I had models and my aunts and uncles, everyone was married. So I had models for, for, for family structure, but I also grew up in a family structure where, where it was more communal. It was more like, you know, tons of aunties, uncles, play cousins. Like I grew up in a structure like that, but still I I felt some kind of way about being a single mom. And so I think the, the, the best thing that, that came out of that, obviously, for me was like the personal growth element of having to catapult myself forward um, as, a, as a business person to learn things on the fly. There was no, I mean, the internet existed, but there was definitely not all the social tools that exist today to be able to market and be able to find customers. I mean, all of that stuff did not exist. And so it was a completely different effort. Um, and so now we use at our fingertips is so much easier. Right. But I think, um, the other lesson too, for me was that my relationship with my son's father became a powerful teacher as well in that, you know, our differences in opinion, our differences in child rearing, our, you know, he's permissive, I'm more strict. And, 
you know, he's raised a certain way, I'm raised this other way. And we we came together on certain things, but there were things that he does and did then and still does that like there are buttons that only he can push because he put them there. You know what I mean? And so they're in place because of him, right? And and so what I have to do is work to like detonate. <laughs> I mean, to, to sorry, uh, disarm, disarm so that I'm not, so when those buttons get pushed, it's like nothing goes off, nothing detonates, right? So I have to, in myself, I have to see him not as like um, an enemy, but it's a great teacher. And that if he was there, um, I may not have launched a business. If he was there, I may not have grown into the person who I am in the same way. And that, because I would have had this, I didn't have the support fully, but more like I would have had somebody there that it, it just wouldn't have been necessary to move in that way, right? And in that urgency. And so I think that's part of it that's been really a gift, you know, is, is that, you know, him being there and him being the way he is uh, forced me to do certain things. And, um, and then obviously having a son and having to provide forced me to like lean into certain things. And it wasn't like I had the time to say, oh, well, I'll just, when I get around to it, no, it was like, okay, this is the time now. So I think that's, you know, one of the things that probably turned my life into, um, it, you know, into, into bloom phase, like into a, a space of blooming and that I didn't know was possible until um, I was forced in, into a space of real challenge, right? And I think one of the things I want to add is, is about adversity is, um, you know, one of the things that I, that I learned also about like soil systems and plants and, and growth is that, you know, plants that grow in really challenging terrain, right, um, actually have the most volatile um, biochemicals, meaning that they're stronger and more potent, and they can provide you with better plant medicine. Um, they're actually stronger because of the circumstance, right? The stress that they're under. So that's something that I feel like, you know, we should think about too, that we are stronger sometimes by the circumstances. We are made stronger by the fact that we did not have all the nutrients we needed sometimes, right? That we seek that as we root ourselves deeper or in my case, like as I rooted and I figured out that like I was writhing inside of a pot and needed to be repotted. And so then I was able to move myself into a situation that would be a, a better service of my needs. Right. But um, yeah. So I think for me, that's what it was. It was just like outgrowing a situation and realizing that it was time and um, and then moving into a place where I could get that nourishment. Well, one, just thank you for sharing that. And what's amazing about that and the consistent thread I'm seeing in Latham and all the episodes is I talk to people as we talk about the quote unquote best thing. Many times it's not unicorns and rainbows. It is some real stuff that has happened that has caused our growth, like you said, even in sometimes uh, where we have to become stronger by the circumstances, as you just beautifully said. And you said something really powerful because uh, we all find them, we, people can find themselves in that moment when either we are going to detonate and explode or we remind ourselves that we do have the possibility to disarm, as you said. Uh, I'm just sitting there thinking about some of those folks back in the day who told you that you, it's going to be challenging for you to be successful and challenging for you to make money. And if you remember what I said in the, the intro, I mentioned that Oprah, uh, Super Soul 100. But I also know that your success isn't contingent upon Oprah. You're verified, you're validated by who you are and how you show up every single day as an individual, business owner, mother, et cetera. So I know that's great when people like Oprah endorse us and we have to stand for ourselves, as I know you do as well. Just just briefly, you mentioned, Latham, you were there. You said, you know, you're being there even though it doesn't feel good. Right now, someone is in a situation where it hasn't felt good. It hasn't felt right for quite some time. And there has been a metaphorical tap on their shoulder saying, this isn't it. That can be a relationship. That could be a city. That could be a job. We can go on and on and on. I'm curious for you. And you also said, I didn't know the, st the steps to take to go forward, but I knew I had to take that first step. How did you find courage to even take that first step when society, maybe past conditioning, that Catholic school person, whatever, I conditioned these things to say, maybe you should stay where you are. How did you find that courage to move forward? You know, that's such a great question. 
And the answer is Marvin Gaye. Um, because, okay. Because here's the thing, right? Like, I remember the day I was on a train on the subway and I was coming back from um, a consulting job or something that I did. And I remember I was listening to Marvin Gaye. And when I got on the train, I saw this woman who looked really tired and I wanted to get up for her, but I couldn't. It was like my body was so weary. Um, I felt so drained and I, I just couldn't get up. And I looked at her and then I looked down, I looked away. And then I don't remember exactly the part of the song or which song it was. I think it was Hear My Dear, the album. And and I just, streaming down my face were tears. And I, and I even couldn't see because they were just coming down so hard. And so I remember um, I got up from, on my stop, right? I get up and I walk out of the subway car. And that woman that I wanted to um, get up for, she was standing right there facing me. And I looked at her and she said, whatever it is, give it up to God. And I fell into her chest. And I could cry right now. I fell into her chest and I wept. And we just stood there and she held me on the platform at 125th Street. And she just held me. And she said, do you want to go to church? And I said, I have to go home. And I felt like I couldn't go with her because I felt like I had to go. Like I felt like I felt trapped, right? Like I was like, I have to go home. Um, I'm in this relationship that I have to end. And I want to go with you, but I also feel like I have to go home. Like it was just like to feel like I couldn't even just go with her. You know what I mean? So I went home and, and that's when I used my voice and said like, um, yeah, so I don't remember the words. I just remember I opened my mouth and whatever it was, it came out. And then it was like, uh, I'm, I can't anymore. And, and then that's when we started to like un unwind. But I remember that's what it was. It was that song. And it was that woman who came, that, that beautiful stranger who showed up in that moment as an angel and held me. And, and that's where I got the courage. I got the courage in, you know, from a woman who showed up, this black woman who showed up as an angel in that moment. And it was, it was God saying, okay, inching you another step forward. It is time. Wow. I mean, give it to God. She was telling you the same time to trust, to surrender, which I didn't understand what surrender meant for so long. Uh, but wow. I mean, I don't think I've had my eyes well up like they did from any interview I've done on this podcast. And wow, I'm feeling everything that you just so eloquently uh, described. Um, I really have so much appreciation for you being willing to share that on here. The question I have for you is, as we get ready to wind down, Latham is, uh, I think, a very important one. You mentioned earlier about that Catholic teacher introducing the word bastard to I, you. Mm -hmm. and, and I know, you, you, like you said, your mama lit her up as she rightly should have. It made me think back to something I forgot when my mother, I was raised in the Catholic church before my parents got divorced and where my mother was serving on some boards or different things in the church. And I remember my mom telling me later after they got divorced, when they told her she could no longer be active in that capacity at the church because she had got divorced. Of course, we no longer went to that church. And this, this, this is all leading towards this. When you chose to move forward and to end that relationship and to become a quote unquote single mother, how did you move forward and find the strength and the love not to judge yourself based on the past story and the history you had? Because I say that only because, you know, between my mother and father are six divorces. My mother's been divorced three times. My father's gotten divorced six times. And it's taken me, frankly, to get into my 40s to understand that something is profoundly wrong with society. In my opinion, when people are judged for being quote unquote divorced or being a single mom or a single dad, they society puts the scarlet letter on you. Like you have done something wrong. And I think back, even friends have done online dating back in the day. I've heard people say, Oh, she's cute or he's great, but he's divorced or he's a single dad or he's, she's a single. And I'm like, and so when I when I hear people talk about the word divorce or relationships that ended or single this, single that, I get angry. And I just want to say, well, at least they tried. At least they tried. They stepped into the arena. So not to get on any type of high horse right now, but how did you move forward to love yourself and not judge yourself after that came to an end? 
Wow, that's such a great question. And it's so true, the judgment, right? That's that's placed on people. Um, well, a couple things. So one, I did judge myself and I did carry that feeling for a while. Um, I didn't date for a very long time. And um, what I thought was important was figuring out how to care for my son, you know, in this way that would be smooth at the transition for him. And, um, and now, you know, his father and I, now that he's 16, going to be 17, you know, we both recognize that we offer different things that he needs and that enrich his life. And so um, I'm not where I was then, right? I'm a different person and he's a different person. And uh, we respect each other. And my mother has a good relationship with him. And I'm very close to his um his father, his, my son's paternal grandfather is like my father. So, um, I, you know, I don't want anyone to think that, um, in any means that this is like a conversation about bashing someone for the past, but it is about unearthing the truth of who I am and, and how I became and, and that the iteration of myself then and the iteration of who he was then we did the best we could in that time. And for the time horizon that we had, right? Because I'm much older now. <laughs> and so I think that the time that I have in this body is completely different from when I was that age. And so um, I have a different view. And um, I would say, though, that at the time, it was more of an expression of, um, like, I was very deeply connected to my mothering. And I was very connected to the fact that, you know, I had a son. And so when I did start dating, I would mention that first. I would say, I have a son. I'm a single mom. And I said, because uh, I don't want to be like liking somebody. And then I don't want them to like now be like, oh, you got a kid. And then it's over. So I was like, let me just say it out in front. And I did that. And I found that either people walked away or they were like, oh, tell me about your kid. Or, and so I was like, oh, wow, like this is actually OK. Like you can actually get back into this world and and be uh, a, a, a full woman and and not just be like, mommy all day. Right. And so, um, so I think that's how I slowly got to see that, like, you know, actually, you know, someone would might be interested to date. And, and, um, I think that kind of opened my world up a little bit more, but, um, it was so challenging at first, but I think the thing that sort of brought me full circle was, you know, seeing that, like, I was able to provide for my son and that, um, I launched a business and I was able to be of service and that was really fulfilling, but it also was was not the case. Like when I was growing up, my mom, she struggled, right? She, I mean, I did too, right? But meaning that like I moved a lot as a child, right? Like we moved, I mean, I was, I don't know how many houses I lived in. We moved so much. And for me, I felt so um, proud of myself that my son had stability and that he lived in the same house from when he was born until he got through middle school, we just moved, you know, like, I mean, we just been living in the house we're in for like two years, but he, he, I mean, he took his first steps. Like he started, he learned to sit up, to crawl, to walk, to stand, to run everything in that house. Right. Like every life stage was the year he was born. He lived in that house through till he was like 11, 12 years old. And so I felt so good that, that, that was a stability that I provided that I didn't have as a child who did not like moving, did not like having to make new friends, did not, you know. And so for me, I was like, wow, like I was able to, even as a single mother, I was able to do this thing that I said I wanted, which was not to move. I was able to start a business and, and not have to work for other people. I was able, right? Like I started to see like, wow, even in this, I was able to achieve. And so I think that started to bolster up the confidence that this was not, like what I thought it was and that it wasn't bad. And, um, and I started to repair my relationship with that dynamic and even talk to my mother about it as well. And what my challenges were, but also what I wanted to achieve in the process. And, um, and I think that's how it kind of started to slowly become something I felt okay with. And, um, and now it's just like, you know, it's, it's something that I just see as part of my story. I don't, I don't stigmatize it at all. Um, and, and I see it also in other people who are in that state that I was in, 
I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful time to like discover who you are. It's a beautiful time to like, you know, like really uncover while you are alone, before you get partnered up, before you start dating, like really just uncover who you are, really explore love on yourself and take that time. And I did that. I really did before I welcomed in a partner. I did start to like date myself. You know, I did start to do things that would make me feel good, anoint myself, like, you know, dress myself up, you know, use all the beautiful things like on my skin and, you know, do all the things that I would do if I was dating. Like I started to do all that for myself first. And I think that's, that's what slowly got me to a place where I felt like I was ready even to receive the notion of partnership, the notion of connection, or even inviting somebody in for a date even. I love how we started the interview with my asking you about the glow. And how we found our way in a way getting back there with you talking about being willing to date yourself. But I'm going to use your words to anoint yourself. I believe everyone listening right now has a profound opportunity that me talking right now to re- that reminder to to put that crown back on our head, uh, to anoint ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to love ourselves. And as Latham mentioned earlier in the podcast, that what an amazing opportunity for herself to create that space she mentioned. She talked about creating that space where she could open up, right? I think many of us are right now, we're like a dam, right? We're a dam, a beaver put up a whole bunch of wood and the water has just stopped, but that we're not meant to stop. And right now, piece by piece of wood, that first step, that second step, we're getting rid of that, that, that does not serve us. So Latham, I can't thank you enough for this, this episode, for just this conversation. I'm opened up. My heart is is profoundly open. I thank you for being willing to share all that that you did. I I can't wait to hear the feedback on this episode. Mm. Um, for people that want to learn more about you, your work, uh, where would you like them to visit first? And we'll put all your information in the show notes. Sure, I'm just at Glow Maven on Instagram, G L O W M A V E N, and uh, MamaGlow.com. If you're interested in anything birth related, doula related. Um, anything like that, you can you can find us over there as well as at Mama Glow on Instagram. Beautiful and grab her books. Links are in the show notes on whatever app you're listening to right now and on the website. So thank you again, Latham. We're, we're going to do this again in the future. I got a feeling. Oh, absolutely. And thank you. I mean, honestly, this was just healing for me. You know, I don't. I've not shared probably most of that information at once in one setting with anyone. And so this was a gift for me. This was a, this was a, this was healing balm for me. This was therapeutic for me. And so I just thank you for the space because um, it's unlike any other interview I've ever done. And I feel like um, I'm so used to talking about certain things, right. And for you to just allow this space for, for folks to come on to not only share, but also to, uh, be in relationship with their healing, be in relationship with their, their, um, their growth. And, um, and to never forget that all of that leads us to where we are. It's, it's important to see that that's part of the constellation that makes me who I am. So I'm just thankful that you invited me for, for such a moment because this was deeply healing. For you and me both. Thank you once again. Thanks for listening to The Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.